Okay, this is week 51. Welcome to Bhagavad Gita class. We're starting chapter 15, Yoga of the Supreme Person. And chapter 14, we just discussed how the material energy works, how the modes of material nature, how they work and how they interact. And now Krishna is going to give this beautiful analogy about this holistic material energy um, as a banyan tree. Um, a reflection of the real tree on the water. And so um, it's very poetic. And the, the, the water that it rests on is, is our desire. So this whole material energy rests on the desire of the living entities. And so we are having this experience within the modes of nature. And the modes of nature are said to be the nourishment. So we are talking about how the modes are making people... All living entities act in particular ways, according to their guna and karma, according to the qualities of their body, and then they act a certain way. Uh, and this is happening. They're going uh, from the higher planets to the lower planets, lower species, higher species, and going through these um, modes of nature. And then he describes the uh, branches, the, the heads of the branches, to be like the senses. And then the twigs on the trees are like the sense objects. So the senses are engaging with their sense objects. And the leaves are the Vedic hymns. And so the Vedic hymns given by Krishna are meant to elevate the human being or the, the higher um, conscious person um, to go upwards within the modes of nature or hopefully to transcend the modes of nature. Um, that's the goal. And then, let's see, what other aspects of the analogy are we missing? Uh, so you have the leaves, the branches, the twigs, the water. The roots. The roots, there we go. So the roots are upwards and the branches are downwards because the, the root starts with Garbhadakshay uh, Vishnu. Krishna is the root and he's giving birth to Brahma and he's on the topmost planetary system within this world, and from him all living entities are coming. He's, he's the designated creator. And so the root is upwards and the branches are downwards. But then Krishna also describes a secondary set of roots. And these are the fruitive actions of the, of the human beings. And they're, they're binding us uh, to this world. And so Krishna is then describing, how do we get out? Because it looks like there's no beginning and there's no end. Everywhere you look, it's endless. So he's talking about the weapon to get out of this world, which is detachment. Okay. Yes. Is, is it like also, I heard like uh, it was a mention of whether the leaves are upwards or like, like the analogy of having like a demigods compared to the upper branches and the lower branches to the humans? Yes, definitely. So the different places within the tree are the up, or upper, middle, or lower planetary systems. Yeah, definitely. And we forgot about the fruits. The fruits are the results that the living entity is working for. So that's religiosity, right? Um, dharma, artha, um, economic development. So when we do something according to what we're supposed to do, then we get money. Dharma, artha, kama. And through money, we get to enjoy, right? And we can go to Walmart or uh, Super Walmart, 
Kmart, <laughs> Safeway. <laughs> you can go to uh, what's that? Fries. <laughs> what's that place for kids? Uh, yeah. Doesn't the, the tree being upside down also represent the fact that everything in the material world is like a perverted reflection of the spiritual world? Yes, definitely. Because the real real tree is, is upwards, and then the reflected tree is upside down. So everything is upside down and backwards. Yeah, definitely. So that's part of the analogy too. So dharma, the fruits are dharma, artha, kama. So it's, when yes. it's um, upward, that means like uh, when it's a perverted reflection, meaning when we go to the spiritual world, then we go to the roots. Because right now we came from the roots to the uh, branches and twigs and leaves and all this. So when it's a perverted reflection, meaning that we, in the eternal life, we go to the roots. Yeah, so the root the root of both is Krishna. Yeah. Right? So Krishna is the, the centerpiece. But in the perverted reflection, we're forgetting Krishna, and then in the, the upwards tree, we're serving Krishna. So that, that's the difference. And the fruit is love of God, as opposed to uh, Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha, which is liberation. So those are the fruits of the living entities experiencing. And so then Krishna is describing how do we get out of this? And then he's also giving a little bit of a description of the spiritual world. How is that illuminated by the sun or moon or stars? And how once we go there, we'll never return again. He's talking about Sri Prabhupada's describing further the nature of the eternal living entities. Uh, so it's a very beautiful chapter. And we would like Krishna Nam Prabhu to share. Thank you. Okay. Um, so, the one that I chose was uh, the fifth verse. It says, Those who are free from false priesthood, uh, priesthood, priestage, prestige, illusion, and false association, um, who understand the eternal and who are done uh, with uh, material lust and who are freed from the dualities of happiness and distress, and who, unbewildered, uh, know how to surrender unto the Supreme Person, uh, attain to that eternal kingdom. So basically, the understanding of this is basically, in describing all this, is how to surrender. You know, um, and surrendering is so important um, in, in this. Um, and I think, probably, as far as application goes, the report itself, Srila Prabhupada does a perfect job of describing that I mean, there's no way I could even get close to that description. So I just, I just figured I would read that purport. Um, so, yeah, it's a smart way. So anyway, the surrendering process is described here very nicely. The first qualification is that one should not be deluded by pride, because the conditioned soul is puffed up, thinking himself the lord of material nature. It is very difficult for him to surrender unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead. One should know by the cultivation of real knowledge that he is not Lord of material, of material nature. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is the Lord. When one is free from delusion caused by pride, he can begin the process of surrender. For one who is always expecting some honor in this material world, it is not possible to surrender to the Supreme Person. Pride is due to illusion. For although one comes here, stays for a brief time, and then goes away, 
he has the foolish notion that he is the Lord of the world. He thus makes all things complicated, and he is always in trouble. The whole world moves under this impression. People are considering the land, this earth, to belong to human society, and they have divided the land under the false impression that they are the proprietors. One has to get out of this false notion that human society is a proprietor of this world. When one is freed from such a false notion, he becomes free from all the false association caused by familial, social, and national affections. These faculty, uh, faulty associations bind one to this material world. After this stage, one has to develop spiritual knowledge. One has to cultivate knowledge of what is actually his own and what is actually not his own. And when one has an understanding of things as they are, he becomes free from all dual conceptions such as happiness and distress, pleasure and pain. He becomes full in knowledge. Then it is possible for him to surrender to the, uh, to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So, you know, um, every day, you know, devotional service, you know, devotional service really sets the whole pattern of surrender. And anything that's in devotional service, um, first you, you uh, serve the devotees, you're serving, um, serving the spiritual master. Uh, that humbles you, that you're surrendering to them, you know, and that teaches you in turn how to surrender the personality of God as well. And then, of course, the foundation of all that, chant Hare Krishna. Yeah. It's kind of uh, hard to be a servant when we have false prestige, because as soon as we have prestige, then we're thinking that we're not the servant. Because you can't be uh, proud and be a servant. <laughs> it doesn't work. To be a servant means you have to you have to give up false prestige. How am I gonna wash the devotee's feet if I am puffed up? <laughs> Sort of thing that happens too in this world yeah. is that it seems to me that you know I'm, it dawns on me that that you know servant is even a, a nasty word in our society in many ways. I mean, we associate servant as slave. We associate negative associations abused. to serve, abused, yeah, exploited, exploited, you know, things like that. So, but what we don't really realize is we're serving somebody all the time, you know. So it's it's really it's our natural tendency to serve. So we have to get out of this sort of Weird thinking about that. Yeah. That's why everybody wants to become a manager in their job. They don't want to work in the service. They want to be a manager. Yeah. <laughs> and, and control. Yeah, and even even the manager is serving yeah. someone. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. They're still serving someone. So it's just like... Sorry? Did you, want to, did you want to say something more? Oh, oh no, that, that's just what I, I was thinking because... To, to me, that part of it hits home because I'm currently, I'm, I'm looking for employment, looking for jobs, and I think a lot about the kinds of jobs that I wish, the kind of career I wish that I had developed. I feel ashamed that I, you know, didn't become more, that I'm not the president of a, a company, and then I ask myself, well, what, why do I want that? Who am I trying to impress here? And I realize I shouldn't be trying to impress anybody except for Krishna. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so um, in Krishna consciousness, the Vedic culture, the leaders have to first become servants. So that's why the young children, um, they're trained to become humble and do menial servants at the ashram of the guru. And that's why when they reach um, uh, adulthood, then they're ready to, if they are in positions of leadership, they, they understand the move because they've been there. 
right? They've been they've been under somebody, so they understand what it means to to lead somebody. Um, leading really um, the best analogy or probably experience we have is is if we have good parents, or uh, maybe a spiritual master or somebody that we've we've seen um, only has our best interests in mind. Like generally, parents, you know, if they they're good parents. Generally, they just want their, their children to be successful. But in the world, generally, in business, it's kind of like you're disposable. And, uh, you know, as long as you make profit for the company, then you're good. As long as you listen to everything I say and don't uh, say anything different, then you're good. But otherwise, uh, it's, you know, you can see the door. You can take to the door. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so Vedic culture is very beautiful like that, and, and Krishna is said to be the supreme leader, and, and his example is that when you see his pastimes, he always takes a very humble position. Uh, there's a pastime where he, he washes everybody's feet at a Rajasuya sacrifice of King Yudhisthira. Remember, they're designating everybody to do different tasks, and Krishna, he volunteered to, to wash all the guests' feet. So this is the uh, source of all existence, the most powerful, supreme being, the most beautiful person in existence, and he's washing the feet of all the guests. Uh, so uh, you can see the, that there's something wonderful in service, uh, and Krishna is very eager to serve. So yeah. Thank you. Chutapriya. Uh, yeah, while I was reading um, as Prabhuji spoke, uh, uh, I was always, uh, I, I also got stuck on the verse number five where um, it says, and when one is, one has an understanding of things as they are, he becomes free from all dual conceptions such as happiness and distress, pleasure and pain. He becomes full of knowledge, full in knowledge. Then it is possible for him to surrender to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. When I was reading this verse, um, I came to, like I was thinking about my old company. I used to work for Rent-A-Center. And the CEO of that company said, like, uh, his company motto was, like, servant leadership. So he was, like, um, promoting servant leadership. So that's what I was thinking, like, you know, when you are in the leader, you're just serving people. It's not like you want respect. You it's, more yeah, it's more service. You have to do more service and basically based on your service, it's running um, like basically when you take a good step, then you are leading a good example. And um, <clears throat> if you're taking a bad step, then it's a bad example. So that was more burdenful and when you're a servant you're trying to and one more thing that also dawned on me was like um, one has to get out of this false notion that human society is the proprietor of the world when is when one is free from such a false notion he becomes free from all the false association caused by the familial social and national affections so that's the one thing that we're always bound to like initially we have, we came here alone, but then we get attracted to this material world with the familial uh, love and then we slowly get to know our uh, social people and then we get 
attracted to them and then we try to do the national affection and that's where uh, Prabhupada was uh, when he first time went to his guru he was asking how do I protect India like how do I what can I do sir to serve India and where uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur told like it's not about like saving the nation you have to save the souls so that's what it's like uh, and slowly when Prabhupada realized like you know it's like he cut the I mean he had this detachment and came here to serve the people and uh, it's a wonderful aspect Haribo thank you so if you all could briefly discuss uh, what was Prabhupada's intention in terms of his political aspirations, because he had, you're totally right, and that's exactly what happened. The Prabhupada had some uh, other intentions. So please, um, please discuss this briefly. Uh, I have to. And one other thing that I was also thinking was the tenth verse, and I saw the. In the tenth verse, like at the end, it says, "Therefore, those who are highly developed in Krishna consciousness try their best to give this knowledge to that people in general, for their condition life is very much troublesome. They should come out of it and be Krishna conscious and liberate themselves to transfer to the spiritual world." So this is what when I was reading, like how much Prabhupada suffered. To give us this knowledge like because he realized having the attachment is not the purpose of life to get detached is the purpose of life being like he the realization he wants to spread and Krishna helped him to spread this word um, to all the people and uh, that's what I feel like it's a wonderful thing where um, even like right now the Jivananda Prabhu and all the one who's trying to give the knowledge, they have realized, they are realized souls, they are trying to spread the word. And if we are fortunate, then we can get that word for us, you know. It's, um... So what, what was the conclusion? Uh, we didn't have to change the subject. Oh. <laughs> she had some more things. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, the last, like, tenth verse I was discussing about how Prabhupada also had, uh, was saying, like, a person in such knowledge can understand how the conditioned living entity is suffering in this material existence. Therefore, those who are highly developed in Krishna consciousness try their best to give this knowledge to the people in general. So that's how I was saying, like, how the leaders in Krishna consciousness who are self-realized souls are trying to get to... Um, I mean, preach us, this is not the life, like how to get the detachment from this uh, banyan tree. Yeah, so, so that was Bhakti Siddhartha, that's why Maharaj is moved exactly. when you asked the Prabhupada. And also, uh, yeah. Yes, uh, Prabhupada was uh, concerned about the, uh, the British ruling India, and uh, he was kind of like part of Gandhi's movement. So that was kind of the background for him saying that to his guru, you know, that how can, so I don't remember the exact words he used, but something like, you know, how can we spread this to the world if we're not free from British rule, you know, ourselves, something like that. 
And then his Gurudev explained, uh, you know, like the bigger picture, you know. But it's also, you know, it's it's kind of inconceivable because Srila Prabhupada, both Prabhupada and Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta are both from the spiritual world, you know, eternally liberated souls. So when you see Prabhupada say something like, uh, you know, how can we preach this to the world, you know, we're still being under subjugation from England. It's not like he's ignorant about it, it's just kind of like his, his pastime, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of the heart of what I was trying to get at, exactly what you said, is that Prabhupada's mood was to, to save the world through Krishna consciousness, um, and his guru was mood too. And Prabhupada had a different strategy. And, and also, like you said, it was a pastime because he was showing the mood of a disciple. Prabhupada may have been a liberated soul, but yeah, he took the humble position of, in this particular pastime, um, of saying something that his guru disagreed with, and then his guru corrected him and said, said everything else can wait, but this Krishna consciousness cannot wait. Yeah. We see the same thing in the interactions between Arjuna and Krishna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. They're both playing this role. They're, they're, they're engaging in this eternal leela, this eternal pastime for our benefit, for our sake, so that we can glean something from it. Um, just like Lord Chaitanya, who is Krishna himself in the mood of, of both uh, Krishna and, and Radharani, he's come so that, and I, and I believe this is quoted somewhere in the CC, so, so that he can show us what it, what it looks like, what it looks like to be a devotee, you know, something like that. And I thought that's really sweet that Krishna would always do that. He always wants to give us the example of what it looks like, you know, so. Oh, you want me to go? Okay, cool. So I chose text eight. Um, there's a couple things that came to mind as I was reading this text. The living entity in the material world carries his different conceptions of life from one body to another as the air carries aromas. Thus he takes one kind of body and then and again quits it to take another, this idea of reincarnation. If you take it out of the equation, nothing will make sense. If you take karma out of the equation, nothing will make sense. This is what a lot of the uh, religions struggle with. That's why they don't have a lot of the answers. Because they immediately remove these things, or these things have been removed for whatever reason. I'm not going to get into that. It's not important. Um, but I was having a conversation with a particular Christian gentleman, and we were asking certain questions. We're kind of, you know, in a, in a respectful mood, of course. But we were kind of challenging him because he had certain points that he was making. But he couldn't answer the questions. And the reason being is because he doesn't understand this very, this, this very important piece that Prabhupada, that Krishna is speaking of here. Because when you remove these two very important factors from the equation, then nothing makes sense. You don't have any answers. So it's really important that we understand. I like this line here. Um, one gets a different body according to karma, and he has to quit this body in due course. That's not the line. Here it is. The individual soul is trans transmigrating from one body to another. And this present body and present activities are the background of his next body. That's why when we ask the question, okay, if you're saying that we have one life to get it right, one shot, one chance to get it right, 
And why is it that some people are born in an advantageous situation and some are not? How can you explain that? Couldn't explain it. But if, if, if God wants to give everyone equal opportunity, you say God is just, and we're supposed to get it right in one shot, then why is it that some people might be born with disadvantages, physical disadvantages, whatever you want to call it? Anyways, again, it's because when we remove these factors, it doesn't make sense. That's the first point. The second point that I wanted to make was I was reading a, an article today on Dandavats about how Native American culture um, is influenced by Vedic culture. The idea of reincarnation is very much a part of their, their belief system. But it's quite interesting because they still lack the knowledge of understanding you know, that reincarnation is not necessarily a, like the fact that we could come back as an animal. That's not a good thing. They have this idea that that's okay. We come back as an animal and now we're like a protector of our ancestors. That's a lack of knowledge there. But you can see that they're onto something. And I thought that was quite interesting when you're making these connections. Um, so, because ultimately the purpose of reincarnation is for us to, in whatever, whatever spiritual advancement we've made, that we can take up from where we left off. And then we can continue and eventually get out of the situation that we're in. It's not that we just continue the cycle of samsara. It's not that one life we desire to be a, a killer whale so that we can, you know, swim with our, you know, whatever. You know, it's, that's not the point. So anyways, I just thought that was really interesting. Um, really understanding the purpose, as, as he says here, that um, in the purport, he says that if one is Krishna conscious, Krishna conscious, then he then he uh, then he'll be transferred to Krishna Loka. Ultimately, that's the goal. <laughs> the goal is to get out of that situation, to transcend, and to become Krishna conscious, so that we can go back home, you know, back to Godhead. So, not so that we can. Continue to explore, continue to... I mean, if, if that's necessary, if it has to happen, okay, but that's not the point. The point is, that, is not that we continue to stay on this perpetual cycle, you know, because ultimately that's just more suffering, and no one wants suffering, but, yeah. Thank you. That's great. Yeah, when we, when we start thinking about consciousness then all the you know protocols of society you throw them out the window because like for instance i have a 11 year old stepson and uh at this phase in life he's watching you know like some pg movies and society says you know once they get to 13 then they can watch pg 13 movies you see and then once they get to 18 then they can watch rated r movies right <laughs> so so the idea in society is saying, you know, as you get older, then you have the right to, you know, degrade your consciousness more. And that, that's that's your uh, prerogative. And but actually, you know, the consciousness is always um, something very, that should be protected, um, because as Govinda Prabhu was nicely saying, and Prabhupada was saying, the background of our next life is what we are filtering through our consciousness. And how we protect our consciousness, and how we ultimately develop um, this desire to be with the Supreme Lord, because unfortunately, as long as we maintain these desires, we will take bodies like 
whales and dolphins, <laughs> ostriches. <laughs> I mentioned that killer whale because I watched the documentary about a killer whale that just appeared in this like particular lake or something, or body of water, and it was said that a particular person that had just passed away in the tribe was saying that he was going to come back as a killer whale, so that's kind of why I said that. <laughs> so I was thinking of this, uh, this documentary that, that I watched about that, and, and he probably was the killer whale. That was his desire, to come back as this killer whale. So, anyway. I mean, if you don't want to attain self-realization, then better take an animal body. As Gurudev always nicely describes, so the senses of the animals are way more powerful. Mm. Uh, we can really be more in tune with the material nature, with an animal body. So if we don't want to connect with God, then yeah, why don't we just be a killer whale? <laughs> I mean, that, that's the that's the earthly worldly experience. So that's the same thing. Uh, just recently, my uh, um, my wife's friend says, you know, if reincarnation does exist, when I come back, I want to come back as a as a cat because I can just groom around all day and just lay around. I said, well, be careful what you ask for. You may just get that, you know, type of thing. So, I mean, they don't realize that any of that, you know, they just, it's just really strange. I was joking with my wife. I said, these turtles over here, they have like a perpetual vacation. <laughs> they never have to go into work or anything. They just sunbathe over here. So the only time they have to do anything is when they have to lay eggs. And then you see them walking across the park. You know? <laughs> oh, they do come often? When they have to lay eggs, yeah. Besides that, they're just vacationing 24-7. That's all they do. It's just sunbathe, swim around, eat a little bit. So <laughs> We're working so hard, you know, and they're just hanging out over there. So. Okay. So I chose verse 3. Uh, the real form of, of this tree cannot be perceived in this world. No one can understand where it ends, where it begins, or where its foundation is. But, but with determination, one must cut down this strongly rooted tree with the weapon of detachment. And now in the purport, uh, Prabhupada says, The word asang is very important in this connection because the attachment for sense enjoyment and lording it over the material nature is very strong. So this sense enjoyment when my parents were like planning for my wedding. So every guest was telling them the program and food should be very nice so that we can enjoy. So everybody is craving for that enjoyment, that sense enjoyment. But actually that is not the case. Like we should be, so it should be like it, here it is written. Therefore one must learn detachment by discussion of spiritual science based on authoritative scriptures. And one must hear from persons who are actually in knowledge. So I think this weapon of detachment is like that spiritual service and those devotional service. That is what I think has been discussed from chapter 12. So this is very important that how to like try to have that sense of detachment rather than always trying to have that gratification of the senses. So I think this part is very important. And if we're, if we're receptive to it, the words of saintly persons, yeah, they, they, they penetrate, um, it's cutting actually, it can be really piercing to the heart, because <laughs> we're hearing things that we know on a deeper level, and it really, um, when it hits home, uh, when, we're, when we're trying to improve, we're trying to make progress in the spiritual path, uh, that's like 
like Prabhupada was saying, association with the saintly persons is cutting those attachments because we hear and then we, we try to execute the instructions we try to do better. And through that process, uh, we're becoming purified because we're giving up this false prestige, right? We're, 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 we're realizing that, hey, Jim, how's it going? Oh, hey, it's all good, Harry. It's good to see you. Yeah, you too. Keep yourself comfortable. Okay, I'm not too we're realizing that we don't because that that sense of false prestige is we have everything together right I got it all figured out but as soon as we become a little humble or we open ourselves to hear from a saintly person then then we we become vulnerable to that piercing feeling in the heart like like let's call let's call unwanted attachments anarthas unwanted things in the heart and that process, although it's painful, it's healing because we're, we're actually beginning to take on the nature uh, as a soul. We're, we're giving up this false ego and we're beginning to, uh, because the nature of, of spiritual existence is we're always wanting to improve. We're always feeling like I can become more purified uh, and that I can come closer to God. We're always feeling that way. So then um, we, just like if somebody needs a surgical operation, they willingly give themselves to the doctor. And, and it's painful, but it heals them. Ultimately, it cures them. So in the same way, when we lend our ear to persons who are dedicated to uh, spiritual life and, and who have devoted their life to it, who have developed some of these qualities, um, although it's, it's striking, uh, that's the way. That, that is the, the act of detachment. By, by hearing and then applying those teachings and, and then Krishna is seeing uh, our sincere effort and he's, he's purifying us from these unwanted things and so becoming elevated in that way. So be open to a little bit of a little bit of pain. It's not always, it's not always best. They talked about in cutting down the mm. trees. That's part of the yeah, it's helping us detach from this um, attach, this attractions of material energy. Uh, detached from these own um, proclivities in our own heart and to become more firmly determined to pursue the, the spiritual path. Because Prabhupada was saying that the cure is, is is full attachment to Krishna. So simultaneously um, cutting these unwanted desires in the heart and become more and more attached to God. Again, this for both of this text 3 and 4 to cure, I think to cure this false ego and false prestige, this line is very important in the purport. Aham sarvasya prabhava, which says, I am the origin of everything. So Krishna is telling them that I am the, he is the origin of everything. So how can that false ego and false prestige exist in that world? When Krishna declares that, he is the origin of everything. So that is very important. We automatically realize that we are subordinate. Right? Yeah. And we are a servant. When we, when we say Krishna is the source of everything, he's the supreme controller and master, then immediately we give up false prestige because we realize oh, I am meant to, to, to serve this Lord. I am meant to uh, be a humble uh, cooperator in, in, his, in his plan. Right? Yeah. What you were just saying is interesting because, like, God is a really big threat for the false ego. 
But if you look at it from another angle, it's a huge relief not to have to feel like you know everything and you got everything under control. <laughs> you know, that, that's an interesting way to look at it also, you know. Shashika this morning while I was listening to Vaish, and he was, and he was saying that, you know, he gave the example of like, if you're, you know, if your car gets hit and someone tells you that your car got hit or something in the parking lot, you know what I mean? And you hear that news and all of a sudden you're feeling great anxiety. You're thinking, oh man, my car just got hit, you know, it got scratched. You have this detach, this attachment to your, to your vehicle. Then you find out it wasn't your car, it was actually you know, this person's car, they got hit, and immediately you're thinking, oh, yes, you know, <laughs> you feel, you feel, you feel relief, you know, almost mm-hmm. like, so in, in other words, these attachments are the, the greatest causes of our anxiety, too, and we don't even realize these things, so Krishna's just doing us the favor, he's just saying, like, you know, cut these things out of your life, it might hurt at first, but eventually, when you're situated properly in your consciousness, you're going to see that these things are actually helping you, make advancement, so, anyway, yeah. And that we can also we can look into ourselves because remember Krishna is, is speaking about um, what advancement looks like throughout the Bhagavad Gita. But remember the twelfth chapter he was talking about this equanimity and uh, in relation to what Gurudev Mahaprabhu was saying. So what happens when we have a blow to our false ego? What happens when somebody disrespects us? What happens when we don't know the answer to something or we become humiliated? What, what happens if somebody praises us? How do we respond? Because Krishna is saying that the more we advance, uh, we, we aren't affected so much. Because our position is solidified in our own mind and heart, and the duality of this material energy, it doesn't sway us so much. Somebody says, oh, you did a very wonderful job. Somebody says, no, thank you so much. You know, Hare Krishna. Oh, you, you're an idiot. You say thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. So you're not affected because you're you're rooted in your position. Like it's it's easy to be a servant if we accept that position. <laughs> it's actually hard to maintain a super superficial position of master. For Krishna, it's easy because he doesn't even have to try. Whether he wants or not, Krishna is the master. <laughs> but actually, he doesn't want. He wants to be a servant. So he takes on the role of, of servant through his uh, yoga maya energy. Because he wants to, he understands the, the love uh, that comes through being a subordinate. And he wants to taste that. So Gavinda Mahaprabhu was talking about uh, no Chaitanya. He'd rather be in that position. So the Supreme Lord would rather take the role of a servant, then it must be pretty good, right? Because he's tasted every mellow of power. <laughs> And prestige or real prestige. Mm-hmm. Prestige isn't bad. The Lord has all prestige. It's false prestige. That's, yeah. And one thing that um, I was so much, uh, I mean, like I've been reading before too, but then it struck me when I was reading these verses is like how you can become um, in that transcendental consciousness in this life itself and you can taste the eternal life like how Prabhupada always gives an example you put a rod in the fire it becomes just like as fire so when your consciousness is always spiritual and into Krishna consciousness then you still can taste the transcendental eternal life in this earthly planet too so that's a wonderful point so we stay in the fire of that spiritual association, and then that gives us strength. 
And when we become like that fire, we're not affected by the cold because we're, we're blazing hot, right? And so we, we actually, uh, because we, we take on those spiritual qualities, we affect where we go. We can melt the heart. The fire melts nice, so we can, we can melt uh, those around us because uh, we have associated with those who know and love God. And that's really powerful. Do you have something to know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would just think it was interesting. Uh, Prabhu was uh, the verse that he chose. Um, he was he was speaking about um, in the purport. He was mentioning about. Um, let's see. Let me see if I can remember. <laughs> Sentimental block. Uh, I think talking I'll, about the conception. Oh yeah, he was talking about the conception of like uh, reincarnation and. Uh, and karma, if you take that out of the equation, that that everything uh, doesn't, you really can't explain reality very well. <laughs> and uh, then when Prabhu was reading his verse in the purport, it mentioned about uh, about sense gratification. So what it made me think of the, the two the two purports made me think of is like one of the main things that people who are into sense gratification say as rationalization is you only live once. You hear that all the time, yeah, yeah. but they don't think like there's any like repercussions from any kind of sense gratification, and they figure, okay, you only live once, we better get as much sense gratification as we can. So it's just kind of interesting that they, that when you when you take out the concept of, of reincarnation and the concept of karma, then you feel like this false freedom that I can just do whatever I want. There's no no problem. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like the demonic nature described in the yeah. 17th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. There's no God in control. <laughs> I am the master. I can I can go do as I please. But yeah, there are. I mean, let's say the same thing in the Bible. As you sow, so shall you reap. So what goes around comes around. Uh, existence is a mirror. And Krishna is saying, as you surrender to me, then I'll reciprocate with you. And then I can give you that reciprocation that you really desire on a much more profound level. Uh, instead of the reciprocation of, of a material energy, which is illusory, I can really reciprocate with you. And you'll experience something that that you you know as a soul, but I'm gonna revive that. That that reciprocation that, that you've you've been longing for actually. Did everybody share? Michelle, are you gonna share? Sure. I didn't want to put you on the spot. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I didn't write it down, so I'll, I'll just wing it. But I, I uh, was really drawn to um, verse 7. It says, The living entities in this conditioned world are my eternal, fragmental parts. Due to conditioned life, they are struggling very hard with the six senses, which include the mind. So I, uh, what I thought about is life without Krishna consciousness is using the, the uh, metaphor of the tree is kind of just jumping around from branch to branch to see Maybe this branch, I'll be satisfied. Oh no, this doesn't work. Let me come over here. Let me try this. And so we're just really struggling with the futility of the of the senses, um, and to discover what we really are is such a relief from that. I mean, that just instantly has the potential to remove us from all that futility, hmm. um, and not only realizing how much of a struggle it is with the with this the senses, but also. How, how important to realize what we are in order to um, 
just to, to be able to move away from that. So that, I think it's just so beautiful to think about being a fragment. That's wonderful, thank you so much. There's a phrase um, that when we develop our spiritual consciousness, it's called Atmaram. It means that we become blissful. Like, Atmaram means self-satisfied. So uh, there's freedom. There's a lot of freedom in being self-satisfied. And that means it doesn't matter the geographical location. It doesn't matter anything that's going on. It means that um, I am connected and I'm infused with the bliss of the soul. And this, this is something completely separate from our experience here. And so, yeah, we're, we're bound. We're bound by this, this, uh, this uh, force of the modes of nature, which are, like you said, the futility. They, they never fulfill us. And, but we're longing and we're seeking and we're trying. And so it's frustrating, so frustrating. So that's why we, we beg the Lord for mercy so we can experience satisfaction finally, real satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, one more thing that I wanted to share is like, uh, we always want to love in the material world, but Krishna says that's not the pure love, but still like we want to love, love, love. But then when we try to love the Supreme Personality of Godhead, that's the purest you can do and that's what makes this whole process to be such a wonderful thing that when you try to love the supreme personality of godhead then you see the super soul in every living entity and you try to love every person and when you become a servant of the other person when you try to bow down to their legs you're trying to bow down to the supreme personality of godhead in them so that's a wonderful point that really catches thank you so much uh, I was trying to explain last night to my mother about some of what is going on when I come down here, what Krishna consciousness is, and it's hard for her because the way she was raised, she's very hostile to the idea of God, and I was also trying to explain to her that some of these depictions that she's seen, like in the media, of yogis and different people doing physical feats or, you know, mystical things, accomplishments, that's not necessary, that doesn't have anything to do with it. And it also and we also don't look to lose our identity, that that's super important. And I I thought that related to this verse here, verse eleven, which says the endeavoring transcendentalists who are situated in self realization can see all this clearly. Those whose minds are not developed and who are not situated in self-realization cannot see what is taking place, though they may try. And Prabhupada goes on to talk about how there are many so-called yogis that are simply addicted to some sort of gymnastic exercise, but they have no other information. And I'm really grateful to Prabhupada for coming and teaching us what love of God is really about. It's not about these mystical accomplishments. It's not about physical feats or turning oneself into a pretzel. It's about it's about love, love of Krishna. Yeah, yeah. yeah Prabhupada is transforming the world to explain what is yoga. Well, the world is telling us what yoga is. So he's transforming. He's also teaching us what is meditation. Because it's good that yoga and meditation are popular, but Prabhupada is teaching. So we, we need to teach the yoga community so that they can teach their students. Because um, the spirituality of yoga is right here. The, some of the physical things, because you know, you have the yoga ladder, you can even explain to him, Pantanjali's yoga ladder. Yam, niyam, asan, pranayam. So that, that very beginning stage is, is um, 
stretching, breathing, etc. But as you move up, you move towards uh, meditation. So that's one of our missions is to um, share with the yoga community so that they can properly, according to the yoga text, according to the Vedas, describe what is yoga and what is meditation. Because there's this misconception. Right? You explained very nicely to your mom. Yeah. But I heard even in the Ashtanga Yoga or like in the meditation that we are doing, when we try to focus our mind so deeply that we get to, like the Maya Devi will give you all these physical, um, like the Ashtanga Yoga features. You get to acquire those, some of them. But you reject those and you only want Supreme Personality of Godhead, that's when Maya will get away from us. That's what uh, I was listening to. Because everything, all the yoga can be satisfied with the supreme yoga. So everything is contained within bhakti yoga. Uh, because to practice bhakti, we have to have a healthy body. And so we don't, we don't neglect the health of the body, but we take it as a subsidiary to uh, service, to loving service to Krishna. Um, Krishna says, what can be satisfied by a small little bit of water? Can easily be satisfied with a large body of water. So everything is included in, in God. And bhakti yoga, because Krishna is absolute, the, the process of devotional service is not different than Krishna. So everything, all, all genuine spiritual processes are included in, um, in bhakti yoga. So um, I'm going to share Mari Mohini. She sent. She was not feeling well. Uh, this is not the best, but it's something at least. I'm struggling with getting out of the flu, getting better slowly. And I have some good news to tell you. Jim and I are coming from Jamastami. My birthday actually falls on Srila Prabhupada's day, oh, wow. the day after Krishna's birthday. And I took it as a sign that I was supposed to come and celebrate Krishna's birthday with you all. I'm also looking forward to having that yummy cheesecake that Sandamani makes on my birthday. <laughs> anyway, I hope that you are well and that everything is going great for you. Please say hello to the devotees for me. So her discovery was chapter 15, text 10. Therefore, those who are highly developed in Krishna consciousness try their best to give knowledge to the people in general, for their conditional life is very much troublesome. Understanding. People in the conditional life are at the mercy of the illusory energy, and they are bound, creating suffering or enjoyment by their actions, which both bind them further to the material energy. They need to surrender to Krishna and liberate themselves to transfer to the spiritual world. Through practicing Krishna consciousness, therefore, devotees try and make people aware of their miserable condition and their entanglement in material existence. So they, too, can come out of it and turn to Krishna, whereupon they will become eligible to enter the spiritual world and live in bliss and knowledge, associating with Krishna eternally. Very nice. Application. I will strive to let people know about Krishna consciousness and how to become free from this material entanglement. I will do that by talking to them and distributing books. I still have to improve on how to present Krishna consciousness to people, and I will seek advice from other devotees on how best to present it. Very humble, very nice, very sweet. Okay, and then we'll just, because I'm running a little late, I'll just um, share what I had. So this is also from 1510. Every living entity is quitting his body under certain circumstances. 
He is living under certain circumstances and he is enjoying under certain circumstances under the spell of material nature. As a result, he is suffering different kinds of happiness and distress under the illusion of sense enjoyment. Persons who are everlastingly fooled by lust and desire lose all power to understand their change of body and their stay in a particular body. They cannot comprehend it. Those who have developed spiritual knowledge, however, can see that the spirit is different from the body and is changing its body and enjoying in different ways. A person in such knowledge can understand how the conditioned living entity is suffering in this material existence. Therefore, those who are highly developed in Krishna consciousness try their best to give this knowledge to the people in general, for their conditional life is very much troublesome. They should come out of it and be Krishna conscious and liberate themselves to transfer to the spiritual world. So understanding... Krishna, through Guru and Vaishnavas, is enlightening us to what is happening all around us. We have been going through this painful process of transmigration for billions of lifetimes, and now we are waking up to the horrors of such an illusory journey. As we journey through the banyan tree of material existence, we float on the reflection of our desires. Srila Prabhupada is saying here, Jeev Jago, wake up, sleeping souls. Life here is very troublesome. Don't develop another pattern of attachment and thus take on another material form. Because Krishna con become Krishna conscious, help others become Krishna conscious, and leave this body in love with Krishna. In this way we will transfer to the kingdom of God. This is um, application. Death is certain and can strike at any time. My subtle body has many conceptions which need to be purified. Therefore, I must cry out to Krishna with sincerity. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. How many more births do I want to take here for getting Krishna? How many more times do I want my subtle body attached to sense gratification to be carried to another body as aroma is carried by air? As Dravida Prabhu says in one of his poems based on the great Vaishnava poet Govindadas, Bajahure Mana. O oh, wretched foolish mind, just give up all deceit and worship Krishna's fearless lotus feet. Don't waste this human life. Stay close to devotees and cross this worldly sea of miseries. Okay. So, any last comments or realizations, questions? It's unexpected. We didn't know you were going to join us tonight. Oh, yeah. I didn't need to talk. I was hanging out. Elijah and Sean, just before this. Okay. Can I share one thing? It's not, yeah. it's not completely related to the class, but it's a quote from Srila Prabhupada, because I think it's something as devotees that we'll all come across. And what I'm referring to is, well, at one time or another, if we haven't come across it yet, we'll come across people who will say, um, you know, I've, got Prabhupada, I've read Srila Prabhupada's books. I have no need for a guru. So, I wanted to read a very short quote from Prabhupada about that subject. Thank you, Prabhu. Let me just get, find it real quick. Somebody asked him that same question, basically. Um, I'll, I'll just read it. Let's see. Saved here. Just 
Take me a minute to find this. Start from the top here. While he's looking, how many of you are going to find him? You should come out too, that's where you met us. Oh, <laughs> oh we're going yeah. out too. Oh, yeah. that's, that's Saturday, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Oh, y'all are going right from here? Uh -huh. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're going to go down with the box study. So, sort of, uh, cool. we're, we're going to leave it at 6 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I found it. Okay. Yeah. So, Indian Lady from 1971 asked Srila Prabhupada, how does one contact a spiritual master through a book? Can you contact a spiritual master? Srila Prabhupada. No, you have to associate. Shamasundar Prabhu asks, can you associate through a book? She asks you. Prabhupada says, yes, through books and also personal. Because when you make a spiritual master, you have got personal touch. Not that, not that in the air you make a spiritual master. You must make, not you, you make a spiritual master concrete. So as soon as you make a spiritual master, you should be inquisitive. Papa is our guru, but there's different types of gurus. These are founder Acharya. Yeah. yeah. And where is it, Prabhu? There's one famous verse. I think I think it's in Srimad Bhagavatam, which says something like it's through the actions of both the book Bhagavata and the devotee Bhagavata that the knot in the heart is cut. Mm -hmm. I, I believe it's from Srimad Bhagavatam. So yeah, it shows you need both. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Noted. Take a guru. <laughs> 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 Hare Krishna.